The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Good morning, everybody, and happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. I I want you to know that I understand that Mother's Day is wonderful for so many moms, and it's a great celebration if you've got a mom that you love, and she loves you, and it's just all good and wonderful, and yet there are some who Mother's Day is not so great of a day for them. Um, It's a a day of, of... remembering some painful things perhaps that have gone on in your life and or the uh, pain of wanting to be a mother but not being able to be a mother. And so uh, just mentioning that, not to put a blank, wet blanket on today, but just to so that you realize that it's not all wonderful, yay, hurrah, hurrah, it is... Um, a day of struggle for some. So let's keep that in mind and be sensitive about that and enjoy the day for what it is. My name is John and I'm a part of the church staff as well. It's my privilege today to share with you. It really is a tremendous privilege and honor to share with you from God's word this morning. And so I'm excited about that opportunity. So far in this series, we've been covering the big do-overs of life. The series is called Reset Button, and we've covered the big ones, the ones that just a whole life change. You're going in one direction, turn around, completely go in a whole new direction, and we have those kinds of events in our life. But today I want to focus on something completely different as it relates to reset. All of this is within the context of Jesus Christ, who makes all of this possible, That's where our strength comes from. That's where everything that we have as Christians comes from Jesus. And so he's the focal point of this whole concept of a second chance at anything coming from Jesus. And so uh, let's take a little different turn today on this subject. And I want to look at the concept of hitting the reset button every single day. Every single day of your life, you hit reset. Now, obviously, it's not the big one, is it? Because we're not going through something big like that every single day of our lives. So what am I talking about? Well, I'll get into it here in a minute. But let me ask you, why do you put gasoline in your car? Okay, we put gas in our car, uh, and uh, you fill up the tank, and it goes for how long? I don't know, uh, how much you use it, a week, longer, less, but you put gas in your car on a consistent basis, if you're using the car, right? If you're going to store it, you wouldn't do that. But if you're consistently using your car, you're consistently putting gasoline in it. Well, why? Why not just fill the tank once and forget about it? Just drive that car and just one tank of gas. Well, obviously, because then you wouldn't use it for very long, and then it wouldn't be useful anymore. So you have to keep filling it up. Wouldn't that be great if they had invented a gasoline, that you put it in your car once, and then it runs forever on that one tank of gas? 
I would buy that gas. Or what if they invented a car that could run forever on one tank of gas? That would be amazing. But so far, that's not been invented. Why do you eat food every single day? Well, it's because I like to, but uh, also because if I don't eat food every single day, then my body will begin to shut down. I won't have the energy that I need. So we eat food to fuel our bodies. How long can you go on one meal? Oh, I don't know, a day or two or a week or a month. But if you go like that continually, you will die. We need to be refueled. Our bodies need to be refueled on a regular basis, just like our cars do. So our cars need fuel, they need energy, gasoline. Our bodies need fuel, energy, food. And we do this continually, consistently. Now, what about our spiritual life? So far, nobody's invented limitless energy. It doesn't exist. I know they're looking at that and read a couple of uh, pieces this week talking about scientists and they're trying to discover limitless energy. But so far, it hasn't been discovered. It hasn't been invented. There is no such thing as limitless energy. But as Christians, we believe we know where that exists, right? And it exists in God. He has limited, limitless energy. In fact, probably be better to say he is limitless energy, right? He's all powerful. So all of it comes, all of that power comes out of God himself, of who he is. And so we know that that's where it comes from. God never runs out of gas, ever, never. He always has Everything, he has no needs or wants. He's perfect. He needs nothing. He is self-sufficient within himself. There's nothing that can be added to God that would make an improvement. All right? He's perfect. But that's not the case for you and me, is it? Last time I checked, you weren't perfect. And we're not perfect for two basic reasons. Or we don't have this limitless energy for two basic reasons. One is sin. Sin is a major energy consumer. Sin literally sucks the life out of us. Sin destroys. It's, it kills. Everywhere sin is, renewal is needed. Everywhere sin is, Wholeness is needed. Everywhere sin is, repair is needed. And sin is everywhere on the earth as a result of the fall. And so we struggle because of sin, either our own or someone else's sin that's affecting us. But either way, we struggle because of sin. The second reason that I know that we are not all-powerful is because we are created beings. God is creator. No one created him. He always was and always will be. But we have a beginning. We were created by him. And so we are not God. We have limits. All of us do. We're not perfect. 
But that's not the case when Jesus returns. That's our hope. See, when Christ returns, we will then become like him, and we will no longer sin. No more sin. Wouldn't that be great? Man, I would just love to have that right now. I hate it when I sin and disappoint the Lord and myself and others. It would be great to just be free of sin right now, but that's not God's plan. That's not what he's doing. That is coming. When Jesus returns, we won't have sin anymore. And we will have new bodies. We won't need to eat food. We won't need food for energy. All of our energy, if you will, will be coming out of God himself. He will sustain us with himself. But that's not yet. That isn't for now. That is for later. So, so far I've mentioned energy coming from cars in the form of gasoline and energy for our bodies in the form of food, but I have not covered the spiritual side of life. That's going to be my focus for the next few moments, how to fill up spiritually. And is that even true or even necessary? So let's pray. That'll be our focus. Father, we come before you this morning, and I know, Lord, that there are people here who are struggling today. It's a hard, it's a hard day. And maybe not because of Mother's Day, but other reasons we struggle, Lord, in life. And we have ups and downs, and there are times when we're doing well, and there are times when we are in the valley of the shadow of death. And so my prayer today, Father, is that you would help me to share this truth in such a way that those who are without hope today would have hope. And those who are discouraged and thinking about giving up, they would be filled with courage to keep on. They would walk with you through this season, through this time. I thank you, Lord, that our trials do not last forever but there is an end. There is joy that comes in the morning. So help me, Lord, share your word faithfully in a way that brings lasting change in all of our lives. Amen. Amen. Have you ever been really, really, really happy? Maybe it's been a while, huh? <laughs> well, the last time I was that happy. What happened? Why didn't that keep going? Why didn't it stay? Why didn't you just have this great, joyful, exciting moment, and then it just kept going and going after day after day after day? Has that ever happened to anyone? No. No. Have you ever been in love? And you get that, those, you know, those goosebump feelings of love, and you're just infatuated with this person, you want to spend all your time with them, forget about all my friends and my family, I just focus on this person because I'm in love. And then you get married, and then you have kids, and what happens to that wonderful love? It fades, doesn't it? It fades. Not to burst any of you lovers' bubbles this morning, but... It fades. When you're in that mode of love, you, you don't believe it. You're like, oh, it'll never happen to us. But it fades. 
How about when you first get saved, when you first have that encounter with God and you feel the Holy Spirit working in your life, drawing you to Jesus, and it's so wonderful, it's just a great feeling, it's, it's amazing, and then it begins to fade, right? It begins to fade away. I'm not just talking about feelings here, right? Because we know our feelings fade. You don't have limitless joy and peace and happiness, all of that. It fades away. It goes away. But so do things of the Spirit as well. Our faith can fade away. Our peace can come and go. Our contentment in Christ can wane. Our hope, our encouragement. Have you found that one day you're incredibly encouraged? It's like God is sending all these people into your life to love on you and encourage you and, and share scriptures with you. And it's just so wonderful. You feel so encouraged. And then the next day, it's like it never happened. It's all gone. Right back to zero again. And you think, well, I need all that encouragement again, but that would be so selfish to have it again. But it fades. So here's my proposal for, for all of us today. This is my proposal, and I would like to try and prove this to you from the scriptures. I'll do my best. That we as Christians, we must hit the reset button every single day of our lives. That's what I, would, I want to propose. As Christians, we must hit the reset button every single day of our lives. And I believe that that's exactly how God has designed it and precisely why Christians struggle. So let's begin with the Old Testament. Start in Exodus chapter 16. If you have a Bible, it starts with Genesis and then it goes to Exodus. Exodus 16 Basically, the story of the nation of Israel being freed from Egypt, sent out into the wilderness. And here's a story. They come to a place and there's no food. No food. And so all these people cry out and they complain. Verse 1. Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin, between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There, too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, kill them all. <laughs> no, he says, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food, and then they will prepare it, and there it will be twice as much as is usual. So God's going to test the people here. He's going to provide for them, but his provision is a test 
of their obedience and their faithfulness. Can they follow instructions and can they obey? Do they in their heart trust God to provide what they need? That's the test. And so the Lord says to Moses, I want you to set this up. So manna came down from heaven every single day. So we know there's at least one chef in heaven makes this manna. What is this manna? What is it like? Verse 31, the Israelites called the food manna. It was white like coriander seed, and it tasted like honey wafers. Now, let's just pause for a second here. God could have sent them a nasty, terrible goo with all the right vitamins and minerals that would sustain a body. Something that any health freak would love. And something like me, hate. All right? God could have done that. Give them exactly what their bodies need. But he made it taste like a donut. That's pretty cool. He made it really tasty. That has nothing to do with what I'm going to say today. So God gave Moses specific instructions for the manna. Look at verse 16. These are the Lord's instructions. Each, each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up an omer. An omer was about two quarts. So two quarts for each person in your tent. That's, that's simple enough. Okay, you got six people in your tent, so you get 12 quarts of this stuff, right? You go out. Gather it. it, it would be on the ground, and so they pick it up off of the ground. Verse 19, but here is the deal. Don't keep any leftovers. Don't keep it till morning, he said. And what did they do? They kept it till morning. Of course they did. So some kept it till morning, but then it was full of maggots, and it had a terrible smell. So God made it rot in their refrigerator. <laughs> and Moses was very, very angry with him. It says, you know, I've studied this in the Hebrew, and the deeper you go into Hebrew here, you actually see the names of the people who, went, who, who, who saved the leftovers. Yeah, you see it. It's there in Hebrew. Joseph and Martha Tupperware. <laughs> And their descendants have been sinning against God ever since. I think my wife and her whole family are from that line. Because they just love, oh, we got to save this. We got to say, get Tupperware. We got to save this. This is good. Ugh, I hate leftovers. She's the only one in her family that will eat it. Even God hates leftovers. Come on. <laughs> God was ticked off that they saved it. But all kidding aside, you see that God is following the order of creation. So he says, six days we work and then we rest. That We saw that in creation. Six days of work, then a day of rest. And the day of rest was not just resting from work. It was resting in the Lord. All right? It was a time to be with God. 
set aside time for God. So they were supposed to collect the manna for five days. They collect one day's worth, two quarts per person, right? Then on the sixth day, on Saturday, they collect double the amount, and they eat one as eat half of that for that meal, and then they bake the other half to be used on the Sabbath, which is Sunday, so they could spend time with the Lord. And that's how God said he wanted it to be. He's following that same pattern. And so what do they do? They go out on Sunday looking for the manna. And what do they find? Nothing. There was no man on the seventh day. Now, why did God set it up that way? He could have easily given them uh, this spiritual food, this power heaven food that would last a whole week. One meal, whole week. I mean, this is, this is, this is not Chef Ramsay. I mean, this is heavenly food. God could have made it one meal last a month. In fact, he could have designed it so that the bread of life could be eaten and then you would live for eternity. Hmm. Perhaps that's how it was meant to be all along, but then that would be another sermon. So God was testing them so that he could teach them a very important truth. They had to understand that by going out every single day and collecting the manna, they needed to rely on God every single day for their provision. Okay? Today's spiritual food will do nothing for me tomorrow. This sermon will not bless you tomorrow unless you listen to it again tomorrow. Right? It fades. And for some of you, your bucket has got so many holes in it, you can't remember this sermon an hour after you heard it. Or even in the car. What did he say? I don't know. Our spiritual food doesn't last. You notice that? Your, your encouragement, it doesn't stay. It fades. So now if that was my only basis, was this text in, in Exodus 16, I would say that's a pretty weak argument. So let's strengthen it up a little bit and go to 2 Corinthians 4. 16 through 18. Now in the New Testament, it's the second letter to the church at Corinth. Verse 16, so let me read it. So, so is a, an important word. So means that I am going to say something based upon what I previously said, right? So and because, right? So, so... So we need to look at what was said prior, but we will do that in a minute. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So the Apostle Paul is making an absolutely amazing claim here. Unbelievable. He says, 
We don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. Now, right before this, verse 8, he says, listen, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And in all of that conflict, in all of that hardship, all of those testings and trials, Paul is saying, I never lose heart. Now that's extraordinary. I never lose my hope. I never lose my joy. Do you know anybody like that? When they get really bad news, when something hard hits them, when they are attacked in some way, and they just maintain their joy and their peace, they don't lose heart, they don't give up. Paul has apparently found the secret to not losing hope in the midst of unbelievable trials and suffering. Now that's something, isn't it? That is something that every single one of us in this room needs. We all need that, right? Every human being needs that and longs for it. If I wrote a book called The Secret to Living a Life of Misery, would any publisher pick that up? <laughs> no, won't sell, stupid, right? Because we already know how to live misery lives. We know that, we do that, we live that. I don't need a book to learn that. I got that down. Come on over, I'll show you. Here it is. We have that, we know that. The books that sell, that fly off the shelves are the ones with the title of in this book is the secret to everlasting hope and joy. Now that one's gonna sell. Why? Because nobody has that. That is rare. I don't know how to do that. How do you have that? How do you have joy when your kid dies? How do you have peace when you lose all your possessions? We don't know how to do that. We can't find that. But Paul seems to have found it. If he's telling the truth, we no longer lose heart. Our joy is being renewed day by day. You know, the first thing that just jumped out of me in this text is the fact that here is the greatest Christian that has ever lived, right? Paul, I mean, we can make an argument all day that Paul was perhaps the greatest Christian that ever lived, more so than all the apostles. And he used up all of his resources every day. Paul was empty by the end of the day. Paul 
had a leaky bucket. And that's pretty good news, isn't it? Because if Paul, the greatest Christian that ever lived, had a leaky bucket, that means you really got a leaky bucket. And it's okay. It's okay. Paul needed fresh encouragement each day. He needed his joy to be renewed because it faded on him. It didn't stick around. I'm glad for that because I lose my joy from time to time. There are difficult, dark, painful days that seem to strip away all hope. And you know what? God designed it that way. He designed it that way, that you would go through dark, difficult days that strip you of everything you've got, nothing left. Why? Why did he make it like that? So that we would come to him every single day of our lives, that we would sit at his feet with our Bible open, and we would pray and seek his face and say, Oh God, fill me again with joy. Fill me with peace. Show me the promises of your word that I can bake my life on again, that I have hope again. And you stay in that place until your soul is filled up with confidence and you can go out and live another day. Could God have made it so that once you get saved, you never lose your joy? Sure. He could have done that, but he didn't. I think he wants us to see how badly we need him. How badly we need him. We can't even go 24 hours without the Lord and we're in trouble. You know, in fact, sometimes the day is so dark that I can't go an hour, an hour without the Lord's help. And then I need help again in the next hour and the next hour. Because we're leaky buckets. Verse 7, he says, we're jars of clay. Jesus is the reservoir of living water. And we are jars of clay. And then he says, look, at he says, we are made up of two parts, our outer self and our inner self. Our outer self refers to our bodies, our flesh, a physical body that we're living in. And he says, that thing is wasting away. And you don't have a clue what that means when you're in your 20s. And I'm not 20 anymore. I'm 50. When I was 20 and in college, 19, I know this is, this is hard to believe, but this is true. You can ask my family. I was 6'3", 190 pounds, even had some muscles. And so I would play football with my buddies in the mud. Got to have mud. I don't know why, but you got to have mud. We'd play in the mud, full-on tackle football, no pads. It was a blast. Loved it. Every single weekend, somebody got hurt. Aid car came. We didn't care. We were having fun. 
If I did that today, I would break every single bone in my body. <laughs> no, I would die. <laughs> I cannot do that now. No way. Our bodies are wasting away. We all die. We all will. We don't know when, but every one of us is going to die. And we face things like cancer, disease, car accidents, natural disasters, things that can't be explained, unexplainable death. We face these things because of this outer suit that we wear. And God, in his wisdom, has not yet rescued us from this. See, our soul, you are today, if you're a Christian, you are today as saved as you'll ever be. You are forgiven and washed in the blood of Jesus as you'll ever be. But your outer soul, it's wasting away day by day. Our bodies don't function the way they should. And so if you were wondering if Paul had the right to say what he said about not losing heart, then let me just share a fraction of what he went through. Fraction. 2 Corinthians 6, 4 and 5. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. 2 Corinthians 6, 8, and 9. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we, we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. 2 Corinthians 11, 23, 27. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift in the sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers, danger from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the cities, in the desert, and on the sea. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without even clothing to keep me warm. And Paul, we know, in the same chapter, he talks about this thorn in the flesh that he was given. Actually, it's chapter 7. Thorn in the flesh given him to humble him. He was beheaded in Rome after he'd spent a considerable amount of time in prison. So now look at verse 17 again. He says, for this light, 
momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. How in the world can Paul say that is light and momentary? Did that sound light to you? Did that sound like what you've gone through? Is that your life? You've been adrift in the ocean three different times? Sharks? You've been stoned, beaten, whipped, poisoned, snake bought you, bit you? Is that your life? Is that what you go through? You know, we suffer, and all suffering is relative, but Paul calls all of that light and momentary, and now how in the world can he do that? Let me tell you, I have had some days that are really, really hard. I mean bad days, bad, bad, dark, painful days. I would not call that light. I would not call it momentary. It felt like an eternity. <laughs> Every minute ticking by slowly. How can Paul say this? 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about being taken up to heaven and seeing things that are so glorious that man is not permitted to talk about it. So God revealed to Paul the glory of heaven. And it was so amazing. It was so magnificent and just oh, unbelievable that in comparison to all the suffering that he'd been through, it was light and momentary compared to what he saw of the glory in heaven. In other words, Paul was saying, it is all worth it. It's worth it to me. Oh, what I'm going through right now, it's worth it to me for the glory that I will receive in heaven because of my suffering is nothing compared to the glory of heaven. It is light and momentary. Paul got up every single morning, apparently, and focused on the glory that he would receive in heaven for all eternity. He focused on the promises of God that had been promised to him that he would be given in glory. And I'll tell you what it did for him. It gave him perspective. Because now he saw all of his trials, all of his sufferings, hardships in light of the glory of God. And they were seen to him as light and momentary. So every day of your life, I think this is his secret. How he can say, we no longer lose heart. Every day of your life, if you will sit at the feet of Jesus and your Bible open in prayer, in study, your joy will begin to well up in confidence for that day. Don't think it's going to be for a week or a month or it's every day is new all over again, reset one day at a time. You know, Jesus said that don't worry about tomorrow. Every day has enough trouble of his own. So Sunday has trouble. Today's Sunday, right? So Sunday has its own trouble for today. 
Don't think about Monday because we won't face Monday's trouble till we get to Monday. Then there'll be Monday's trouble. And we won't have to worry about Sunday's trouble. It's every day, Jesus said, has trouble of its own. So if somebody, literally, this is an extreme example, somebody puts a gun to your head and you're a follower of Christ, then that confidence wells up inside of you and you say, fire away, I know where I'm going. Do you? That's extraordinary faith. When I think of this, I always think of John the Baptist because he's got a great name. <laughs> I love all Johns. Oh, that was a weird thing to say. <laughs> Rewind. Sorry. I'm so flawed, it's not even funny. John the Baptist is sitting in prison. He's in prison, not like prison here. We're talking nasty dungeon type stuff. All alone in this cell. And Jesus is told, hey, John the Baptist, he's in prison. He's in Herod's jail. And Jesus said, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. Now, that's pretty significant because, one, Jesus always chose his words very carefully, and, two, he never lied. So he really, literally is the greatest man ever, John the Baptist. Jesus said so. So John's languishing in prison all because he said to King Herod, you cannot marry your brother, Philip, his wife, Herodias. She belongs to Philip. You can't have her. That's adultery. Well, if you say that to the king, who has limitless power and authority and can kill anyone at any moment, that's a pretty risky thing to say, a pretty bold thing to say. So Herod throws him in jail. He doesn't kill him because he's afraid of him, but he throws him in jail. Now he's there. And then Herod's birthday comes along, and he decides to throw a huge party for himself. So all his top people in the kingdom are there in the throne room, and he invites his stepdaughter to do a dance for the people. So she comes in, and she does this sexual dance that turns on the whole crowd. And they're all just really turned on and pleased with this. And Herod saw that everybody was pleased by her dance. And so he says to her, he says, I will give you anything you ask for up to half of my kingdom. And so she says, well, um, let me ask my mom. So she goes to Herodias. And Herodias hates John the Baptist because of what he said about her marriage to Herod. And so she says to her daughter, ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. So his stepdaughter goes back in. She says to Herod, I would like John the Baptist's head on a platter. I'm sure his countenance sank. And he whispers to the jailer, go get him. 
So here's John in his cell, and the door opens, and there's two guys walking in, one with a sword. They say, hey, come over here. Kneel in front of us. If you fight us, we'll bind you. So John gets up, and he comes over, and he kneels in front of them. And he says, well, what, what happened? What's going on? I said, well, king's daughter dressed for the, danced for the party, and she asked for your head. We're going to take it off and give it to him. And over about the next 20 seconds, his head is being sawed off. What went through his mind at that moment? I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that in that moment, God flooded John's mind with the eternal weight of glory. And he didn't know what was going on. He was just, boom, in the presence of God. Eternal weight of glory. But even so, I look at that story and I ask a lot of hard questions. I say to myself, how does this glorify God? This was a stupid, perverted dance in front of a bunch of drunks. How does this glorify you, God? How is this advancing the kingdom of God? The greatest man that ever lived, and he gets his head chopped off for a stupid dance? I, I just, I don't get it. I, I don't understand how this is a good thing. What is the meaning of this? Why? Why? And I'm willing to bet that you in your struggles have asked those same questions. Why, God? Why me? Why am I having to go through this? I don't understand this. How does this bring glory to your name? This doesn't seem right. I could do so much more for you, God, if you would just take this away from me. And so this is something that every Christian must learn. You must learn this. You must learn how to refill your spiritual tank every single day. And if you don't, then you will lose your joy. You will lose your peace. You will lose your encouragement. And you will be filled with fear, anger, depression, discouragement, and no hope. Because your soul is screaming out. It hasn't been filled. It hasn't been fed. It hasn't been refueled in so long that all it can give you back is this depression and discouragement. And sadly, Sadly, so many Christians in America live this way. Totally neglecting their soul, neglecting their relationship with Christ, neglecting Jesus, neglecting the word of God. And so they end up being completely unrecognizable as Christians. They, they look no different from non-Christians. They have just as much depression, just as much discouragement, just as much fear. They're lukewarm no light, no saltiness. Church, this cannot be true of us. This cannot be 
We must be a prayer-saturated, Bible-saturated people of God. We must teach our children this. We must teach our friends this. We must walk in this every single day. Now, does that mean all the troubles go away? No. No, unfortunately, that's not God's plan. He hasn't set us free from that yet. We still face this dying, decaying body. But at least we can maintain our joy in the midst of it. And that will make you stand out. That'll make you a light. I guarantee it. People will ask you, how do you do it? How do you make it so well? Let it not be said of Canyon Ridge Church that they don't know their Bible, they don't walk with Jesus, their king. It's a dead church. May it never be. May it never be. Will you pray with me this morning? And will you, will you think about your own life and what you're going through today, your struggles? And will you just turn your heart towards Jesus Christ? I mean, you've tried things, you've tried things, you've done it all on your own. How's it working for you? I'm sure it's not working very well. Turn your heart to Jesus. I have found, and I tell you, I have, I have the last eight years or so, I have been looking under every rock and nook and cranny to find hope. And I'll tell you, I have found it nowhere other than Christ. I have looked everywhere. It's not anywhere other than Christ. That's the only way, only place I can find hope for another day. And that's the only place you're going to find it. So if you're not a Christian today, then why not? Reach out to God and say, Lord, show me that. I want that. And if you're a Christian and you've been living on your own strength and doing it your own way and neglecting all this, then maybe you could repent this morning and say, God, I'm so sorry. You know what? My, my darling wife of 28 years, yesterday was our anniversary. Or wait, Friday was. Sorry. My boys thought it would be so clever to trick me, you know, over dinner. And they said, how many, how many years is it, Dad? I'm sorry. I said 29. And they're like, ah, it's 28. Anyway. <laughs> we have fun at each other's expense. But 28 years, she said to me, she said, you know, I don't want to stand before God. And have him say to me, you had 20 Bibles on the shelf. And you ignored it. And there are Christians here who have maybe just one verse available to them. But they were faithful to it every day. I don't know about you, but that's, that convicts me. I don't want that for me. I don't want Jesus to say... 
You blew me off. You did your own thing. I want to get to heaven. I don't want to shout out, Jesus, I know you. I know you. Because all my life, I've been pouring my heart into who you are. I know you. And he'll say, yes, John, I know you too. Come on. That's what I want. So let's pray. Pray. Father, we ask for your help, God. We, we drift. We all do. And left to ourselves, we will always drift away from you. And we have some have neglected the word, have neglected prayer, have neglected time with you. And it's so wrong. Oh, God, forgive us. Forgive us for treating the king of kings like that. And Lord, I pray that you would just reach out to those who are struggling today, who are looking for hope. I pray, God, that you would just show them that hope and where it's at, it's in you. And you just dump a bucket of hope on them today. Faith, courage, their faith would be renewed today trust you for another day. I ask, Lord, for just the miracle working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives, drawing us to Jesus.